Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in our nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jesse, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Holo Holo Podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. Six. Hello! On the eve of 2020 ending, Mm -hmm. and I can't believe that we're going to be actually getting into a new year soon, because 2020 can't end any quicker, if I must say. (laughs) And on today's topic, really, we're really looking at the year 2020 in review, looking at some pop culture trends in general, and then moving into our culture capital topic, which is actually about Filipino... American, Canadian, Australian identity, and Asian pan-ethnicity. Sometimes we like to call that just born-again Filipinos, and we'll explain (laughs) that as we get through uh, today's episode. But before we do that, let's catch up. What have you been up to pop culture-wise? Okay, this is major serious, and I almost called you when I was watching it. Two words. It's on Netflix. It's called Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit. Gambit. I saw a trailer for it a couple months ago, and I'm like, what's this about chess? This show, 10 episodes, starts off with a young girl. Well, actually, no, it starts off in the 60s, a girl running down in Paris downstairs, getting ready to play chess. And then you flash back, this girl is an orphan. She loses her mother, brought to an orphanage. She ends up being a little off, a little in her own world, and she is taught the game chess by a custodian and finds out she's a chess prodigy, and you follow Mm. her travels. And it's in the past, and you see, honestly, the style and art direction in this show is amazing. Anya Taylor-Joy is the lead character. She plays Beth Harmon, who becomes a chess prodigy. And the clothes itself, the style, the 60s, the Cold War, her traveling to Mexico, to Russia. The Mm. style itself is beyond. It is addictive. Chess right now is trending, like learning how to play chess, (laughs) the purchase of chess sets. It's actually one of the most streamed shows, Queen's Gambit. I highly recommend it. I know people be watching The Crown, absolutely, and stuff, but Mm -hmm. it is amazing. I thought it was super great. The style itself was beyond. And just a little bit of a throwback. We talked about Love Actually. The little boy, Thomas Sangster Brody, he is in The Queen's Gambit. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and he's all grown up. And I'm like, oh every time gosh, he's in wow. the show, I'm like, please, please run through the airport for love. Run through the airport <laughs> for love. And another actress, uh, Marielle Heller, who happened to be the director of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Fred Rogers' story, Mr. Rogers' story, she plays an actress in it. But I highly recommend, Kuya, during the holidays, you and Michael to curl up and watch this show. It's what we needed. It is the style of Mad Men, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm-hmm. It's to die for. You will love it. The art direction is fantastic. It's a reiteration. I think everyone wanted something a little refreshing. The beauty itself, and you love the mind, right? So strategic. Even like the clothing that Beth wears has all checks on it because to refer- mm. reference to the chessboard. Right. It was 
beyond. I could go on for hours. Juanita and Jasmine, two of my co-workers, we talk about it incessantly. Hey, girls, thanks for that awesome recommendation. We were just talking about it. I cannot stress enough. She'll probably get nominated, Anya Taylor-Joy, and it'll probably be on everyone's best list, The Queen's Gambit. Please watch it. <laughs> it looks cool, right? Mm. Like, all the advertisement I've seen on Netflix makes it look lush. And even just the short snippet trailer that you see when you fly by it on Netflix, oh, yeah. it looks incredible. It's certainly on my list, and you are right. It's one of these, like, I'm going to see if I can binge it on a Sunday or something like that during the holiday break here. But, yeah, it looks fun. It looks fun. It looks sumptuous. It looks lush. It looks, like, stylistic. Did you ever play chess? You say. Yeah, I did. I did. I don't think I had the patience for it, right? But I think... <laughs> It had more to do with, at the time, I was more concerned about winning. And (laughs) that is a game about patience Mm -hmm. and needing to think long-term. I think... If I had the time now, I probably could probably pick it up and just because I've developed my strategic thinking over so many over years. years. But it's interesting, Queen's Gambit, because that talks about a very particular strategy and set of moves, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Absolutely. And it's just interesting because it's very meta. They touch on some of the aspects of being a girl or being female and being yes. like the strong player. So it's, it's sort of current in that sense. But also, like, I played chess in, like, grade school and we had, like, a chess yes, team. yes. The first time I was like, oh, super cool. I was like fourth on the chess team. And we went to like, uh, I, I remember like sixth grade over, everyone was sort of obsessed with playing chess. A lot of the guys in my class, we played it. We had a chess team and then you go to like a tournament and you play. And I know it was good, but I wasn't the best of uh, the people in our mm-hmm, school. Mm-hmm. So I, I got a fourth position, not first, second, third. And then I played again for no big deal. Like I was like, oh, that's beyond me. And I like lost my first game in like the school tournament. But they're like, oh, we're going yes. to the tournament. You're coming. I'm like, why me? They go, well, because of your age range, and you're in seventh, eighth grade. We need a fourth, so you're gonna have to come. Right. I'm like, oh god, I didn't even do that well. <laughs> but meanwhile, at least I won. I remember winning two games, and I think one of my guys, my team, got really far on that thing. So we did well for ourselves. But I was just like, why am I even going? I don't even. I'm not they even as good. The they needed a point, or they needed that someone in the age group to be the fourth. You know, the yes, fourth yes, position. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, be that one that's like not the starter on a relay team, but maybe the second person in second position, hey, like grabs a baton. You still need an entry, yeah. right? You still need a seven eight. You know, I got a birth. You can fulfill that, yeah, for sure. But yes, that it reminded me of that time. But when I watched the game, I'm like, I am nowhere near these people. And I thought also too, (laughs) probably put that guy's like, oh, see, you're in gifted class, whatever. You should be smart playing chess. And I'm like, sure, Mm. not the best. I know my way around sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's all you need, whether you win or lose. Exactly. What have you been into? It's been a revisiting. I think I alluded to this in one of our previous episodes after watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina's Part 3, which, of course, is coming out in a couple of days, at least by the time this podcast airs, and Michael and I will be consuming the fourth part, hoping that the fourth part is better than the third part. Mm -hmm. And I think I had said that the third part was just okay. We still wanted to kind of continue on this supernatural vein. Uh And so Michael has a very spotty recollection of vampire diaries. (laughs) And so we've decided to revisit it right from the very beginning. We've been burning through, we've just started season three and we have just been introduced to werewolf lore and hybrids and all of this stuff. So it's been fun to just kind of watch it again and kind of look at uh, Nina Dobrev and (laughs) Ian or Ian Sommenhalder and all of these different great cast mates. And then just thinking about great writing, like just great writing. And as I watched it for like, I don't know, this is maybe my third time watching it. It's like really tight writing, tight 
plot sequences, you know, where you think that there's a hole, knowing that I know that it's going to be filled in down the way. It's satisfying. It's just a very satisfying rewatch, even though I know what's happening. So it's been just kind of cool to, you know, visit this triangle love story. And again, it's very much revolves around this idea of like for which brother will Elena <laughs> fall in love with. And so anyways, it's been interesting to watch. And what's really interesting is, is I remember Julie Pleck, the executive producer saying at the conclusion of the vampire diaries after I think season eight, she had said that really this story has been about grief and loss. Oh. And so it's been interesting to kind of watch it from that, that lens? particular, yeah, from that mm. particular lens, mm. you know? And so there is a lot of death on that. How do people respond to the loss that they've experienced? So this last episode that I just watched just before kind of coming to tape today's podcast, it was really fascinating just kind of like watching one of the characters just say, I can't, I can't do this right now. Mm. Like I can't go through a loved one's things and, you know, please don't force me to do it. And I was just like, oh, that's exactly what someone would say, like as they're trying to kind of cope through grief and feel standstill in the midst of all of this. So I've been kind of watching it from that lens and I just have to say consistent, like a oh, really yeah. consistent story. Yeah, just as much as like there are some go-to favorites, like we can watch Friends over and over and over again. And even though we may have watched it many, many times, there's still consistency in it, good writing, good casting, like all of that stuff. I would say, you know, that happens for The Vampire Diaries. So... It is certainly a masterclass in how to write a supernatural series from beginning to end and have an endless clue path that leaves you wanting more. Are yeah. you so vampire diaries? Are you and Michael sad about the wrapping up of Supernatural? So I have to say it jumped the shark for me after season seven. And I couldn't get back into it after that. I am kind of sad, but I think to myself, it should have ended at Long time ago. season seven. <laughs> yeah, it should have ended at season seven. And I think they're ending on season 14 or oh, something yeah. like that, or season 15. But, you know, from season 10 on, it was gravy and they were just having fun. I think that they were just running out of material at that point. And for me, like, I thought that they had this wonderful story of, like, it was a story of brotherhood, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And then they replayed it through the Brotherhood of Angels. And I just thought, oh, this is really clever. And then it jumped the ship afterwards. Oh. And, like, oh. and But Supernatural was also cool for the first seven seasons because it actually even asked the question of, you know, what happens if God was actually an absent father? Ooh, deep, deep. It was a really deep question for those first seven seasons. Like, you know, posing, you know, the idea that if God is an absent father, like what happens to the rest of paradise? And I thought, oh... Like Ooh. you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that that was a really interesting question that was being posed by that series. Who knows? Maybe I'll come back to it after I've got a bit of time. I'm not hot to trot to get to it. I'm sure maybe I'll see it. I might read up on how it ends. I mean, that was certainly one of my favorites until then. So weird year. Oh, yeah. Right, that we've, <laughs> we've had. 2020, who knew that a pandemic was coming? It feels like ages ago that I was podcasting with you from the Philippines yes. and Singapore and Hong Kong. That feels like years ago. And I don't know, this whole year has felt like three years. And I can't believe it's really just been nine months, eight months since the pandemic began. I feel like we've done several seasons of our podcast. <laughs> like yes. it, it, when you say Philippines, I'm like, that was only January. You were in the Philippines and we were trying to juggle yes. your schedule. And I was like, oh, hope right. you get back safe. And then February, I'm like, oh, you're back safe. And we actually got to see each other in February. Right. We're very lucky yes. we saw each other like February, yeah. but February 15th or whatever. And since then, boom. 
three weeks later, boom, everything's like shut down. So yeah, 2020 has a lot, a bit of a marathon. I have to say, I agree with you. Yeah. So listeners, our homework was to figure out what were the top three trends with respect to pop culture in this really unique, odd, even awkward year. I don't want to use the word unprecedented, even though I'm using that right now, (laughs) but it's been an odd year. What do you have at the top of your list? The pandemic plays havoc on pop culture. I wish I had like a a P word instead of the H to make it alliterative (laughs) from delayed movies, TV shows, cancellations of like music tours, odd award show, Broadway going silent. Things have just sort of changed. Like pop culture got affected. Like we have this pandemic. Mm-hmm. How can we enjoy and how can entertainment sort of continue? Our uh, podcast was hinged on like award shows happening and stuff like that. And they just haven't happened or they've just been really modified. Yeah, General Colby can attend a fancy award show via Zoom. Award recipients can right. respect social distance, wear masks and share joy. Three words, Shits, shits Creek sweep. But <laughs> yes. also to our TV shows, our entertainment, they tried to embrace it. Like as the fall came, yes. like, what do we do and prepare like what the general population is dealing with, whether it be something like that amazing show Mythic Quest, dealing with working remotely and how it affects people like psychologically, physically. The Good Doctor yes. actually taking, um, you know, actual the pandemic itself, like charting it coming in and how they're dealing with it. And then even Grey's Anatomy. I mean, Meredith Grey's got to bring back Derek somehow. So in her COVID <laughs> fever dream, she had that like. This is us really doing a snapshot of like, you know, things that have been happening currently with social injustice and within the pandemic. And then right now, streaming services playing a role of dropping these shows and trying to make pop culture continue. And as we talk about more trends that we see, it was just it was almost like a big of a shakeup. How are we going to do with this? March happens. All these things have been delayed. How do we play along with it? You see in the fall, everyone trying to adjust even our old school like pop culture, whether it be Parks and Recreation, 30 Rock, them trying to come back and go back on TV and try to do some like updates during this COVID or even like the movie Father of the Bride. They did a sequel via Zoom and they're, mm. they're doing adjustments. They're trying to control that craziness and chaos and try to make sense of it for us consumers out there. Yeah, certainly the pandemic has been a chaos agent. And in some ways, the virus being a chaos agent has disrupted pop culture. And yet, interesting that pop culture has pivoted all along the way, trying to adapt and be resilient as best as it could. Mm -hmm. Some of it was surprising. And then other times it was like, well, that didn't work, right? And <laughs> yeah. then it just kind of shows the importance of something, right? Which I'll get to in, in a second. But I think that that makes a lot of sense. Like the pandemic playing havoc on pop culture is probably one of the biggest news stories, or I would think is the biggest thing in terms of a pop culture trend at all, right? Like being meta in some ways. Oh, absolutely. My top trend in terms of pop culture and our 2020 in review is very much related to the pandemic and how it really got everything postponed (laughs) and then a reliance on nostalgia. And so with the stay at home orders and it was interesting to see things be canceled and then postponed. And I just remember we had it that we were going to review Mulan and Bond 22 (laughs) early part. And then suddenly it was like, okay, it's been postponed to the summer. Okay. Now it's postponed to the fall. Uh, okay, now we're just going to release Mulan on Disney Plus <laughs> and everyone pay lots of money to go see it. And we're going to just release Bond in the new year. Is it in the new year that they're, or when are they going to release? April 5th, Bond? 2021. 
April 5th. So, you know, no matter what ends up happening or like releasing Wonder Woman, like we were chasing Wonder Woman. Now it's like it's going to be on HBO Max. And and so really experimenting as well with where they're going to actually play these things. But postpone, postpone, postpone. And I have to say that the pandemic has created uncertainty in terms of postponing everything. But with all of that, like playing havoc again with pop culture and live theaters and rescheduling and release schedules, I have to say it's probably this postponing of everything has made a lot of uncertainty for the movie industry, the movie Mm -hmm. theaters. I've really taken a hit along with festivals and gatherings and broadcasts and stuff like that. I think what it's revealed is, is that in as much as doing things remotely is possible, not everything translates well over a 2D screen or on a 75-inch screen TV. Like, sometimes you need to see it in a widescreen format theater. Mm -hmm. I do kind of wonder about, like, what would Mulan have been like if we saw it in the movie theater instead of it being postponed indefinitely until Disney thought, well, we have to release it somehow and recoup our money and just put it on Disney+. Plus, like, do you wonder about that? Yeah, you know what, though? I think there's one thing, and we've talked about this before, and even you and I, when we go to movies, it's the spectacle, it's that yeah. taking it in and really seeing it on a huge screen. I know a lot of people have bigger TVs or they have projections and they want to show it. I think that's what the elements of movie theaters have, right? So And the experience, you know, right? It is the experience. And it's the experience. Absolutely. I, you really colored I, that right. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, from the smell of popcorn to the sticky pop on your feet, feet in the movie carpet. Like, I know our friends Jeff and Tara who order popcorn through Uber when they have their movie nights. (laughs) (laughs) They order movie popcorn, which I think is just fantastic. We couldn't do that because simply because I don't think it would be hot enough in time. And I don't think you can actually microwave popcorn for that matter. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you can Mm -hmm. maybe, perhaps you can put it in the oven for a little bit, but yeah, there's something about the experience of it all and, and watching it communally, you know, more than just your family, knowing that the world around you is laughing at the same time, shocked at the same time. Sharing those emotions. Yeah, totally. That's that's right. And so I think if anything, this whole postponement, and it wreaking havoc as well on the movie theater industry and complex has really showed that there's a missing shared experience of it all. But what's interesting, despite all of this postponement and the havoc placed on the pop culture industrial complex, it's really created an opportunity to revisit the pop culture vault, which I think, you know, we did early on in, towards the end of season two, right? So it was really interesting just kind of revisiting things just as much as I revisited the Vampire Diaries and was telling you that in the warm up. It's been neat to just kind of like, oh, let's revisit 90s teen movies or let's revisit 2000s pop music or let's talk about an 80s reformulation game of Animal Crossing. Exactly, yeah. So it was just kind of fun to just kind of revisit old movies and feel nostalgic again because not being able to go out as much and having a little bit more engaged time, it was interesting to just kind of like, well, what is there? And especially with streaming services this these oh, days, yeah. having broad movies and the more streaming services you subscribe to, obviously the more content you have access to, especially older content, it's been fun. Again, having that nice nostalgic feeling going, oh, I remember this movie. Yeah. Feeling, and then reliving those experiences again. Wasn't it fun to just kind of go through those late season two episodes of revisiting stuff? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. And it was just great programming because what else are we going to do? And a lot of people are we're opening up either DVDs or watching streamings of like Sex in the City, everything like 
like it was nice. It was like a warm blanket that you had to wrap yourself around to be like, yes. hey, you know what? I'm not going anywhere because I can't. So what yes. am I going to do, right? So yeah. I like that retro thing, and I think we've built our podcast for that return to retro. And right, right. That. I think what our listeners don't know is, is is that once the virus had hit, and we needed to rejig stuff, we were rejigging things on. The oh spot, my gosh! Yeah, right. And not just once; it was like twice, several times, three times, several times. And so it was interesting. And then it was just interesting to just kind of say, let's just be nostalgic. And I think it really worked out well. And it was really a blessing and disguise in terms of being able to revisit all of these things. So that, again, was kind of fun to do. What's the other uh, on your top three of pop culture trends for 2020? What did you list? Representation matters. So there's been a pop culture reckoning that pop culture usually reflects shifting public moods. And this year was mm-hmm. big. Really Black Lives, big. Lives Matter movement was bringing up more upheaval, right. putting questions on race and reporting center stage. This was a long overdue reckoning, right? So there was a renewed interest in black themed art and entertainment. Like if you looked at the top bestseller list for books on fiction and nonfiction, it was like rife with so many black authors like Ibram Kendi, How to Be Anti-Racist, selling out of the yes. book of white fragility. That book was sold yeah. out. And even... Wow. Um, I was trying to get Kathy Park, Kathy Hong Park's book about Asian minorities, and I, it was still like some of the books were sold out. It was everywhere. Like it was, there was interest. It was seeing like streaming platforms even prominently like featured black team content on Netflix. Right, you could watch American Son, yeah. Five Bloods, like they would direct you to say, hey, you know what? It is Black History Month. Here's information. Here are movies about with lead Black characters, etc. There was podcasts about race, you know, NPR Switch, Code Switch, Andrew T's, yo, this is racist. And even like, I I listened to a comedy on Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood. (laughs) There was like a reappraising of racist and inappropriate content. So there was a lot of, I don't know, calling out or just ownership of like, you know what? This is inappropriate. What are we going to do about it? Or there's warning signs. So, you know, was it HBO that put warning signs for um, Gone with the Wind. Yes. Right? And even like 30 Rock was a great example. In one of their live shows, they had characters in blackface and they removed it from streamers. Like uh, Tina Fey and company was like, no, this is inappropriate. Like there was basically stars apologizing and making some stars making space for people of color that should rightly have roles in shows. So if you're not familiar, the show Big Mouth, which is a cartoon, there was a character played by Kristen Bell who was, I'm pretty sure it was Kristen Bell, who was half a person of color, I don't know, half black. So she stepped down from the role and she said, you know what, this role needs to be taken by someone that actually is a person of color. And they recasted it with Emily Raver Lampman from Umbrella Academy. Amazing. So Nick yeah. Kroll was like, let's do something about this. Let's not just sit here. Let us make space and let representation sort of be there, whether it be the Oscars or is it the BAFTAs where you need to have representation and nominees? I think and, so. And there's now, quotas yeah, the BAFTAs, and diversity yeah. rules for it. It is everywhere, whether it be in social media that we see or even things like that lovely tennis player who I really love. Is it Naomi, who is of mixed Asian and black descent? When she wore her masks playing at the U.S. Open, she would Mm -hmm. put people who have been like victims or people who have passed from the movement and or police brutality. And she just wore that as a statement. You don't have to look far. And reminding people of their names. Absolutely. Like, don't forget Breonna Taylor or it's strong. I hope this doesn't stop it's been a big movement and i hope it stays for long it's constant it's an awakening it certainly is an awakening and i think too that now with this much more awareness and this much more appetite to kind of how do we make this right 
perhaps it will have more momentum than what it had before in previous years, in previous decades for that matter. I can't remember where I read it, but they were talking about how there's always these pushes of movements, right? Mm-hmm. So civil rights movement in the 1960s. So we're seeing all of this now here in 2020. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. It'll be hopefully this zeitgeist, this cultural movement will do exactly that, make sure that representation exists across our entire society and not just one privileged or community, if you will. Yeah. The second trend that I have is the importance of audiences. And I remember there were many reruns on TV. For anyone that still subscribes to TV, I think Michael and I won't ever cut the cord until Judge Judy finally, finally retires. Oh my gosh. Which I know is coming yeah. up soon. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so I think when that happens, because try finding Judge Judy on streaming almost close to impossible. Like you can't. She's making her cash. So, yeah, she's making her cash. Yeah, she's really making her cash. Oh, and it's interesting. Like watching Judge Judy with an empty court, it's kind of oh, like, yeah. oh, yes, I know. You're, I'm used to watching the audience just as much as I'm watching the litigants. Oh, absolutely. I remember watching when SNL came back for a Zoom event mm-hmm. and that they were doing Zoom at home or SNL at home or That's right. SNL at home edition. I think it's what they called Mm -hmm. it. And it just felt like an odd version of the Second City TV here in Canada that used to play in the 70s and 80s. Oh, old school, yes. Yeah, and that was meant for, you know, a very particular time and date and stuff like that. But SNL really works on an audience and it was just, it was awkward. Like, do you remember watching some of those episodes where Zoom. it was just, yeah. yeah, it was Zoom, like weekend update didn't feel the same. Like, I mean, it was all nice, mm. but, and it was kind of funny, but it was really interesting. Suddenly it made me understand that the laugh track in a live audience yeah. is important. Right? Absolutely. Again, it's that kind of shared experience with an audience. If you don't have that, like it just feels weird. It just feels like you're not sharing something. Yeah, it's so one, in, one-sided, in right? Like when Tom Hanks did the intro and so did Kristen Wiig, they did funny mm-hmm. things. And you're like, you want to laugh, but you're like, is someone else laughing? Is this? And I didn't, I like that they didn't put a laugh track in it because. Yeah, but it it was missing. I totally felt. But it was missing. It really was missing. Mm -hmm. Now everyone knows that if you watch SNL now, any of their newest episodes, they do have audiences. But interestingly enough, New York State has a provision in their bylaws or in their regulations that say that no audiences can be in any taping or recordings of the show. So Hmm. what ends up happening is they have temporary contract workers that sign up and are paid actually to be in the audience but they all still wear masks. So it's just like, well, that's an interesting workaround. Pay the audience to actually be part. But I have to say it makes a difference. And even on the award shows. Oh, my gosh. You know, I kept thinking to myself, like, some of these award shows feel like a telecast. Like, I feel like at any moment now, Jerry's going to come out and tell me for MS how I need to kind of donate some of my monies and call, and I'll get a local celebrity that tells me where I can donate my money. For less than a (laughs) cup of coffee a month, you can donate to whatever, you know? Like, yeah. Right. But but doesn't it feel like a telecast? It does. I think it becomes the more staged thing, right? Like, it just becomes more staged and a little artificial. Yeah. I mean, it is all... Okay, audience members or listeners, I hope you know that we're not, it is what it is in light of all of this, but what it's showing us is is that audiences are important because they help confirm and validate how we're consuming whatever we're consuming in terms of pop culture. 
What's the last thing on your top three list in terms of pop culture? Trust? Honestly, I think it's the look to the future. Like right now, mm. our country is in the second wave and people are looking to the future for better times. Vaccines coming. There's a lot of research yes. and stuff going on. Yes, yes, yes. And I patiently await, right? They need to have the vaccines come out and deal with the people that need it the most, right? Our frontline workers and people who are really struck. People want to be normal. They want to understand what, and it's not even normal. It is the new normal, the new adapted ways that society is going to be. And people want to get back on that train. And I mentioned previously, the good doctor really addressed like what people were going through. And I think the most recent episodes, you see Freddie Heimer at the beginning going, hi guys, currently we still are in pandemic. Our show is continued on for a rosier future, but we still encourage you to wear masks so they still said, mm-hmm. you know, they still shot out of like, OK, you know what? Thinking again and letting us like the audience escape that, OK, things will get better and people will go back. Yes. To not only have to worry about the vaccine and still worrying about health. Shared spaces were important to consume pop culture, cinemas, theaters, concert venues. The entertainment industry is trying to adjust for future and pop culture enthusiasts like yours truly were aching for that. It's coming and it's. And it's okay. This will be a blip. Mm -hmm. And even if you guys have been like really loyal listeners, Jez and I always joked about it. You know what? Our kids, my kids and his nieces and nephews are going to be writing essays in universities saying, hmm, what were the three factors that caused the recession (laughs) of 2020 in Canada? What social injustices were being dealt with? And now, like, you know, there's going to be tons of shirts saying hindsight is 2020. That is going to be the focus. And guys, you know. We love this podcast. There's so many things that we're doing for pop culture. I'm waiting for it. You know, Wonder Woman's coming back out. Bond is in April. This is like the first year. Has it been like a year and a half and nothing has been released Marvel-wise? Yeah, I think so. Right? So WandaVision, Disney Plus, January 15th, 2021. Falcon and Winter Soldier will stream. Black Widow's going to come May 7, 2021. I am an idealist, and Kuya has known me for so many years, where it's yes. always the bright side. It's, it's not my, you know, disaster-proof ways. I just think naturally, I'm like, this will be a blip. This too shall pass. So I, I say look ahead. I think that we're going to gear towards that as a pop culture trend. I think, Filipinos, we are indeed disaster-proof, and we do look ahead. And I think that that's true, that despite the postponement, despite the havoc that's been played, um, you know, we keep looking forward. And I think that's why the pop culture industry has been pivoting all around, just as a way to find a way forward. Mm-hmm. In terms of my last topic, in terms of pop culture trends for 2020, I would say in terms of looking forward, let me tell you, this pandemic has also created an opportunity and what I would also say is a bloom of Pinoy pop culture. And specifically, I'm mentioning two particular things, the BL series that we've been seeing lately posted throughout YouTube. So there's been a proliferation of them. And as you guys know, we've talked about them at the beginning of season three here, one of them being Hello Stranger, all the way to my current favorite, Gaia Sapalikila. And who's that listener? Who's that faithful listener out there that had said, hey, you should do like something on Gaia Sapalikila again? Uh, He makes violins. He's our listener from Rhode Island. It is from Araman Violins. He's a great guy. He's also a lead singer in a folk band playing violins. I want you on the show. He had told us he loves the fact that you were, we did a focus on like some BL series and he was just like, yes, have you watched this? And Jesse squealed because he's like, yes, I've watched that show. Ah! And you guys were just like sharing the same feelings for the same episodes. So. Totally. Totally. I think it's one of the better BL series out there. There's other ones as well, like Boys Lockdown and Quarantine Things. But I have to tell you, Sigs, I did a count. Okay. And 
to my knowledge, and there may be listeners out there with more knowledge than myself, I, you know, I can concede to that kind of of thing. (laughs) There are 33 by my count as of today. So being November 26th as we tape this, 33 BL series. Holy smokes. BL series. Holy smokes is right. I was like, oh my gosh. I thought there was maybe 13. It's like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I just have to tell you, Sigs, like we were talking about representation matters. It is so incredible for me, at least, to be able to see stories about gay Filipino men on YouTube falling in love and all of that stuff. And it just reminds me, like, this is my version of Hallmark Christmas movies. And I just can't get enough of all these BL series. So this is like some of the straight heterosexual women out there that love seeing the Hallmark channels, Hallmark Christmas movies or Valentine movies and stuff like that. So it's been nice to see like a bloom of these BL series. And thanks for indulging me this year and doing one of our episodes, especially on Hello Stranger. But I just love that how these BL series really try to debust stereotypes and have a collision of stereotypes and really challenge myths about the gay Filipino community and statuses as well. So the other, I think, is SB19. I know that I can't get enough of them in terms of their pop culture influence, and I can't wait for them to break out even more broadly on the pop culture landscape around the world. I can't remember what their stats are anymore, but there's been lots of interest in them and growing commercialization and easy accessibility and really have breathed a fresh new life into the mainstream Filipino pop culture scene or Pinoy pop culture scene. I think I sent it to you. Have you seen their latest video? Yeah, you did. Uh, I thought it's, it's and just the, so catchy. I love it. Like when I, it's just like, boom, like let's, it's it's contagious. I I think they're great. What I loved in that particular video, and we will indeed put this in the show notes, is how they were all dressed up in batik. That's right. Where all representing different tribal regions across the Philippines. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I looked up the company, right? And it was like, they personally made it just for them. And I'm like... Girl, you got to like reproduce these mass wise because like I would have bought, you know, at least one set. Well, I don't, I think I would have, right? But I don't think I would have looked great in all of them, but at least maybe in one of them I would have looked okay in. Oh my gosh. And I just thought clever, like really giving a fresh new look to the Filipino pop culture landscape. So, and I think that that's kind of the topic of our culture capital topic of this particular episode and the last one of this year, which is, is, is that we're quite used to seeing the same Pinoy pop stars. And that sameness is related to the idea of being monolithic. And for those avid listeners that have listened to us for quite a bit of time, you know that we kind of really try to challenge this idea that we're not monolithic, that there are different expressions of Filipino-ness, if I can call it that. Whether we're being Filipino-American or being Filipino-Canadian or being a Filipino anywhere in the diaspora, we get lumped in, though, with not only just being seen as one type of Filipino, but we also get lumped in with other Asians in the diaspora. So being Asian Canadian or Asian American or Asian Australian or English Asian <laughs> or whatever the case may be. Wherever you are, you're just you know, put into that general category of what it means to be Asian. I don't know about you, Sigs, but you know, sometimes there's strength in numbers and sometimes just being lumped into a one broad group just annoys me. I want to know a little bit about what you I thought. see on both lenses. Growing up, I remember sort of being lumped in. And I remember I was only, there's only like three of us that were visible minorities. And I'm just trying to think in three, third grade. And there was a guy who's Filipino, Michael. And then there's another guy named Harold, who's named Ha, who's Vietnamese. 
And I remember they would just group us all together. Like, people were like, are you guys all cousins? And we're like, well, no. They mm-hmm. go, but Harold would be like, I'm Vietnamese, and these guys are Filipino. Like, we're totally different. But like, you guys eat the same right. food. And it was just that lumping together. Like, I was like, okay, well, we're sort of different. And we were still in the same, like, play group, and we all hung out, which I thought was cool, because, like, strength in numbers. But I'm just like, mm-hmm. we're not all the same. I hope, like, people, we've run into, oh, Harold, no, I'm Siggy. They would just mix us up just because we all had dark hair and were Asian. They thought we were all the same. And that that was a little annoying. It was nice to have people akin that I'd be like, oh, okay, we're Asian brothers. We stick together. But they just lumped us together. I think that's the frustration. But there are distinct differences. Oh, uh, major you, distinct differences. Yeah. yeah. And I think... And I'll say, like, sometimes I'm guilty of this, too. Sometimes I can't tell the difference between a Scottish Canadian and an Irish. I can't see the brow structure sometimes, or I can't but do we, you know, tell from But do you. we honestly go and say that? I can't tell the difference between you? No, no we don't. I, I, like, I don't. Like, and it doesn't feel insulting to them when we do say that. It's interesting that we feel either dismissed or insulted or reduced or distilled. And I think it has to do with the fact that that we're constantly lumped into this group of being Asian, Mm -hmm. you know, and that there are actually different parts of Asia. In fact, Asia is quite large in that there are South Asians, East Asians. We come from Southeast Asians, if you Mm -hmm. will. I think what is really fascinating and also troubling at the same time is how when we think of Asians, we typically think of East Asians. And as Ali Wong would say, the fancy ones, the fat, <laughs> yeah. right? So Chinese, Japanese, Chinese, <laughs> Korean, and Japanese, stuff like that. Yeah. And no diss against our, you know, our fellow Asians. No. But typically when you think of Asian, people outside of the diaspora or outside of being Filipino think about Asians. Sometimes that's what comes up. Those particular oh, yeah. nationalities or ethnic group. Would you agree? Or do you have the same observation? Absolutely agree with you. I think now it's a bit more centered. They're like, oh, what are you when they see my name or whatever? And they're like, okay, so are you Chinese or Korean? Or like they go down the laundry <laughs> list and usually Filipinos yes, at the yes, end, yes. unless there's someone, they know someone who's Filipino. Like you got to be Filipino. Yes, but your name is right. sort of weird. So are yeah, you? So what is that? <laughs> And it's interesting that we're at the end, even though both in the States and Canada, we make up a large proportion of the community, right? And so, and I think to myself, what does that say about these other cultures that see us this way, that we're really not at the heart of Asian culture, we're really at the margins of Asian culture, that if we're the last one on the laundry list, then what does that say about us and how people think about us as a culture? Of course, I blame colonialism <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> I agree. And, and, and it's true, but yes, you were going to say. And even like now... I don't broadly say this or whatever, but I do work in the public service. And when I have to identify what it is, I almost feel like it's been recent where there's a box that says Filipino and I can check. Right. Do you feel that too? I was like, before I'd be like Asian, I think I'm under there. And then sometimes they would branch out, be like Chinese, da, 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 da. And then find, oh, there's Filipino. Like, and it's not even alphabetical order. You think we'd be up there. We'd be like on the bottom. Right. Everything else, like right. Indian, Korea, everything would be above yes. us and we'd be at the bottom. Yes. And it's only recently when we have to identify, like if we're a visible minority, I'm like, oh, finally, there's Philippine. I finally found the checkbox that I can check, you know? Yes. You know, <laughs> it would just feel better if everything was indeed in alphabetical order instead of being grouped in these things. Because whether they know it or not, I wonder if there's some type of bias in the people that make these forms that put us at the end. And what does that say again? Absolutely. Right? That we're at the margins in some ways and that we've been displaced. 
displaced to the bottom. Perhaps Drake might have something to say about that. <laughs> this is a Canadian, partly Canadian show, right? Interesting too is is that if they do break out Asians, you know, where do we fit? So do we fit with East Asians, Southeast Asians? Do we get our own category, Filipinos? Sometimes I've even seen Pacific Islanders, right? right? And get, in some ways you could say that we're related to that. Sometimes we have much more related to people in the Austronesian islands as opposed to other parts of Asia altogether. But something that we've been kind of also alluding to is that there is kind of power in being in a group. Being with other pan-ethnic communities, banding together, gives us some type of political bargaining power. So there, there's almost a, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with this idea of kind of grouping us together. But interestingly enough, like you group the re- Europeans together, they have their economic union and they've got like this power that <laughs> equals or matches that of the United States. Mm-hmm. I think to myself that there is some benefits to that, but we may get lost in the middle of it all. I don't know if you've got anything to add. I, I like how you color it because I always remember that episode of Glee where they had Sunshine Corazon. They wanted to recruit this Filipino exchange student to be on the show. Yes, or to be on the, in the right. choir group. And then Leah Michelle, being horrible as she is, Rachel Berry, sends her somewhere else and puts put oh, her right. to test. Then Tina Cohen Chang and Mike Chang, the other Asian, those of Asian descent on yes. the team, were like, how do you know this happened to her? Like, we're a very close community. That, that was their stand-up. We stick up for each other. Why did she do this to our friend or whatever? We're very close. We know what exactly happens with our people. And right. our people right, right, was right. just what? a group, all Asians. <laughs> well, cool. and that's where we get strength in numbers, yeah, right? And, you know? and so sometimes it is a bit of a love-hate relationship simply because together we can make movement. But, you know, it is interesting kind of like how we are typically ranked towards the bottom or towards the margin. And I think we need to kind of question that. And I think we also see that in pop culture, too, as as you were also kind of describing there with Glee. Like recently we had talked about Ratchet and it's like, where are the Filipino nurses? And where are the Filipinos in all of these stories? Even if they're just background players, there should be more of them. You know, as far as I'm concerned. The other thing that I think to just kind of note too is, is, is that in as much as it's beneficial to kind of get together with other Asian communities, it's important to make sure that our voice doesn't get lost in all of that. And I think that what I love about our podcast project, because it really is a project, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's ever evolving and I don't think it's kind of hard. At this point, I don't know that I wanted to stop. I hope we keep podcasting for years to come. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Are but we, are we swaying away from the five year plan so far in year three or what's well, up? Well, yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> there might be like a season six to season 10. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe our audience, our listeners out there can help us out. But I find that this podcast gives us a voice and puts our voice on the pop culture landscape. We know that we've got listeners from around the world listening to us. And so I think to myself, like, that's what we need to do. We need to band together with other Philippinex voices out there so that our voices can be heard. So that's the fixing of the week. Find other Filipinos, corral our voices together so that we can be heard and be loud and proud, as, as they would say in the gay community. But yes, be heard. So that's what I want to say. And that's what I want to end off with, at least, you know, for 2020. Like, let's get together and let's make sure our voices are heard for the years to come. I think that's a great way to end 2020, getting people together. Before we you take us out, Sigs, we here at the Hollow Hollow Podcast want to wish you all a great start to the new year. We know that 2020 has been really odd and sometimes difficult and sometimes frustrating. But as Sigs was talking about in terms of looking towards the future and being hopeful, we want to wish you guys all a great start. 
Finally, send love and what you can to those you love or know back in the Philippines that may be having difficulties right now with the high activity of typhoons in the area or in the year. So just something to kind of think about if you are able to do that. So with that said, Sigs, take us out. All right, folks. We love email. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you think about the podcast. If you're listening, if there's any other topics you want us to cover, email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. The Hollow Hollow Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Please rate us and leave a review. We'll read it on air. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Hollow Hollow Pop. And we're on Instagram at Hollow Hollow Pop Culture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chel Turingen. We'll see all of you guys again in the new year. Happy. Oh, perfect. Happy New Year, folks.